Blessed to be a blessing. That's been our theme. It's going to be our theme actually last week, this week, and next week. And we uh, want to continue to dive into what Paul describes in the book of Galatians about the fruit of the Spirit. So each week we're going to, we took three last week and talk about three more this week, and then we'll finish up next week with all nine of those as we think about those. So um, let me just share with you all, let me just start with this, and I'm going to bring this full circle. And I love this text. This comes, this once again, uh, this is from the Apostle Paul. And this is when he's talking about actually about light and darkness in the book of Ephesians. Hear these words uh, for us to launch into our message this morning. So um, in the, in the past, uh, you were uh, full of darkness, but now you're full of light and the Lord. So live like children who belong to the light. The light produces every kind of goodness, right living and truth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen. So let me just give you a quick review. So we talked a little bit about love last week, you know, and once again, am I trying to teach a little bit? Each one of those words have a specific word that's connected in the Greek. So love is connected with the word agape love, which is self, well, it's this kind of the selfless kind of love. This is unconditional love. It's a, the love that we see that's been, um, it's just revealed on the cross that Jesus poured out for all of us. And so, and it's also, it's that type of love that we're to live in, in our relationships with each other in the world. So we have the word agape. Then we have the word kira, which has to do with um, love and then also the word uh, joy. And so joy has everything to do with making a choice. So we can actually, I mean, there's the idea of being happy, 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 but it's a deeper meaning in the, in the Greek. And that we have a choice to make. Do we want to, well, even in the midst of our adversity, even though in the midst of a crisis, even in the midst of some kind of glamour in our life, we can choose to have joy or not. And so there's that part of the word, but um, it's also the derivative of that word also has to do with grace. And we think about the amazing grace continue that Christ continues to pour out for all of us and the unconditional love that Christ continues to pour out for us and his amazing grace. And also the connected with that word joy also has to do with the word grateful. And we find that word in the word Eucharist. It actually comes from the actual word kara or keras. And we find keras in the word Eucharist, which when we find that Jesus took the bread, he blessed the bread, he broke the bread, and then he gave the bread. And he broke himself across for our redemption. So we find that. And then the third word Paul refers to is the word peace. And the, really the word there um, has everything to do with um, tying together and joining together. And, and so Paul talks about that and he, t- and he describes it in this way. He says, hey, do not worry about anything but everything in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So the little tra- Translation, the Greek and the word peace is it means to join things together and that we're joined together with Jesus Christ. And because of him, we can have peace in our lives. We can have joy in our life. We can have love in our life. Can I be amen on that? It's all joined together. Okay. So let's start here today. So um, once again, this theme about blessed to be a blessing. So I mentioned you all last week. I've been following the Olympics. And so I think one of the greatest stories that have come out of the Olympics this year has to do with um, two young women who are actually from right down the road, Ocala, Florida. Matter of fact, um, uh, out of the, tw- I think it was 23, the Americans won either 23 or 24 Amer- uh, Amer- uh, uh, medals this year. 
uh, three of them came out of Ocala, Florida, which is amazing to me. That's 13%, if you want to do the numbers, 13% of all the, Mary, all the medals that are won all over the, all of America came right down the road of Ocala, Florida. Uh, and so the story actually has to do with a, a young woman by the name of Erin Jackson and um, Brittany Bow, and you might have seen it if you've been following along. Erin um, actually won, well, here's a picture of her. She won the gold medal um, for America in the 500 um, meter speed skate. And what's interesting about that story um, is that Brittany actually was entitled to actually run in that position because she actually, in the United States qualifying round, she was the, had the faster time. And so what was interesting is because Aaron had slipped and fought, actually slipped and it caused her not to do as fast as she thought she should have gone. So actually she wasn't gonna go to the Olympics. But because her friend and, um, had taken her under wing, they both had actually, well, I guess they were both kind of born and raised in, uh, in, in Ocala. They'd been skating together for years and years and years. And she knew her best friend was the fastest 500 meter skater in the world. And she says, I'm gonna pass. I'm gonna allow you to take my spot and you skate for America in the 500 meters. So uh, uh, Brittany actually focused on, I think, two other races, but she actually um, allowed her friend to go and skate for America. And she, by the way, it actually turned out pretty good. Of course, she, she won a gold medal. And I guarantee you, Aaron will never forget that. Now, what I thought was interesting as I was reading a quote, and here's the quote from Aaron talking about her best friend, Brittany, who allowed her to skate, even though she really wasn't entitled to, but Brittany allowed her to skate in her position. Um, and by the way, what's very interesting is, you know what's interesting about life? Sometimes life comes around, comes, what goes around, comes around. And an interesting twi twist of fate, even though that Brittany said, you know, here, you go ahead and skate, I won't skate. She ended up getting the opportunity to skate anyway. Isn't it amazing to me that sometimes you just do the right thing, you just do the right thing, and you're still gonna be blessed one way or the other. And so, um, so here's, here's the quote um, from Erin. She says, I'm incredibly grateful and humbled by the kindness of Brittany um, and helping me to secure a chance to reach my goal. And she did reach her goal. She's, she's an amazing friend, a teammate, a mentor. And this act, I will never, ever forget. Now, of course, she said this before she was even given the opportunity to build a race and she went on a race and she won a gold medal. And I thought about this and thought that was very powerful because um, Jesus has his own perspective on, I think, a little bit about what the story is all about. And he, and I shared with you all this last week about blessed to be a blessing in the scriptures. So this is Jesus's perspective on being blessed. He says, give to others and you will receive. You'll be given much. It will be poured into your hands more than you can ever hold. You will be given so much that it will spill into your lap. The way you give to others is the way God will give to you. So it was very interesting as this story kind of unfold, and many of you all might have seen this, is that um, uh, Brittany had a quote of her own in response to how this whole thing unfolded. And she said, she says, you know, this, I did this, you know, not only because she was her best friend and gave her the opportunity to skate, but she said, um, I did it out of the Olympic spirit. And I thought, okay, what is the definition of the Olympic spirit? And so I, I looked this up this week and I thought this is very interesting. This came from the uh, you know, International Olympic Committee on the Olympic spirit. The goal of the Olympic movement is to contribute to building a peaceful and better world by educating youth through sport practice without discrimination of any kind and the Olympic spirit, which requires mutual understanding with a spirit of friendship, solidarity, 
and fair play. Well, you know what? In a perfect world, that may work out. But you know what? Sometimes it just doesn't work out that way. And I thought, well, this is interesting. So I dove a little deeper in this whole Olympic spirit thought. And then I found out, and I did not know this, but the Olympics actually have three core values. And here are the three core values when it comes to Olympics. Excellence, friendship, and respect. So immediately in my mind this week, and has been watching the Olympics over the last two weeks, and I thought about these core values. And I thought, you know what? Paul has given us the core values for our lives. And they're all exemplified, these qualities, these core values, these, um, these certain attributes, we find all of them in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And he outlined them in the book of Galatians. And so here they are, they're, as a matter of fact, can you put these up on the screen? We've already said them just a few minutes ago in our liturgy. But the fruit of the Spirit, this is participation parlor summit, let's join together. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. There is no law against the things like this, Galatians 5. And, and so I thought to myself, this is a great example of what Paul is trying to get out. He's trying to reveal to us these are the core values in which you're supposed to live by. They're going to be embedded into our souls. They're a part of our heart. So I got this little sermon illustration. I got my oranges up here. And so, um, by the way, you, maybe you all don't know this, but I was actually a citrus business major. There is a, such a thing. You can actually get an education in that. So I was a citrus business major. And so I have my oranges up here. And what's very interesting, I have, um, so I got one bowl over here and one bowl over here. And, and if you look at these two, like I've just, for example, take two oranges at random. So these two oranges look exactly the same. And so if I opened up this one and I, well, I'll just cut one open here. And so I got these oranges actually from my neighbor's backyard, but just don't tell them I, I got them. And, um, and so I, I got, and so there's like this one little, there's this little tree between his property and the property line on the uh, easement on the road out front. And it's just this rogue tree. I have no idea how it got there. It's been there for years and years and years. So anyway, so I went by the other day and I picked up a few oranges. And so what's very interesting about this orange, I mean, I tell you what, it's beautiful. It's clean. I washed them and went, and they look, and they smell good. I mean, it's, but when, let me tell you something. That is one, I'm telling you, I'm not making this up. I'd be happy to pass these around if you like to. But let me tell you that, that is one sour orange. I mean, it is potent. That's the reason why I have actually have water up here to be able to drink after I finish this sermon illustration. So what's very interesting is if I took, I had that one, and then I went to Publix, I love Publix. And so I went and bought these oranges off the rack. And what's very interesting when I slice this one open, this one is perfect. I could pass that around and then you say, that is one sweet orange. And what's very interesting is they look almost exactly the same. And my point is, is that, you know, what's interesting about life is that we can look great on the outside. But the question what Paul's talking about today, about these, this fruity spirit, these attributes about love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. Paul's trying to get us to look deeper in our soul and our heart and saying, how are you doing with these things? You may look great on the outside, but what's going on with your soul? Core values. Uh, so um, 
I was talking to my mom this week and I actually, actually, I actually asked her if she would um, go dig into the Hendren archives and my, my father was really good about documenting our lives and, and with my what, thousands of photos and so my father had chronographed, he actually had put everything in, a, in a, on these little photo albums and then he documented and put a tab on them. And so I went to my mom and said, mom, can you go back and look at my childhood and pull up, so this is a throwback um, for, well, I mean, here's a picture of me when I was 10. And, you know, I was really cute. And well, at least that's what my mother tells me. And I'm, so I was 10 years old back then. And the reason why I show you that picture is I want you to, well, I want you to see that shirt. And that shirt, my mother made. My mother used to make my clothes when I was a kid. And, and what's very interesting is, you know what, and here's my point about that. When it comes to sewing and being a seamstress, you know, if you're a good seamstress, you know, it always starts when you have the right, have the right cloth, but also you have to have a pattern. And I remember as a kid growing up, we spent a lot of time at, I don't know, Joanne Fabrics or Fabric King or whatever, and it was like a complete drag to me. I hated going to Fabric, but my mother loved it, right? And, and so what's interesting is that my mother was a home ec and I was a teacher, and so what happened was I ended up marrying Donna Hendren, and guess what she was? She was a seamstress too. Guess I get to go back to Fabric King, you know, after my marriage. And so, and what we would go, and we would go shopping, and they would go get the fabric, and they They'd spend hours looking for just the right pattern. But the reason, well, the reason why my mother used to, well, make our clothes is because we didn't have a whole lot of money. And so that was pretty cool through elementary school, but it was not cool to have your mom make your clothes when you hit junior high. I just want to tell you that, right? And so part of, I think, what Paul's talking about here today is that we have the well, if you, don't have a, if you don't have this pattern in your life, then ultimately what you're gonna end up making is not, it's just gonna be a mess. And so what Paul's saying to us is we, if we take these, these core values and implement them into our lives, then our life really is not gonna be a mess. That, that we're to take these and use them as attributes and qualities in order to pattern our life. So the first word I'm um, pick up today is the word patience. And so um, what's very interesting, you go back to the, the Greek word there. Let me just teach for a second. It really is a derivative of the word and the word and the original Greek actually has two different parts to, in the Greek. And so the first part of the word comes from makros, M-A-K-R-O-S. And that word has everything to do which means, which means long. Okay, and the second part of that word has to do with the word thumas or thumas, T-H-U-M-A-S. And that word has everything to do with, which means suffering or passion or anger. So you put those two words together and what Paul is talking about here when you're talking about love is patient and love is kind. When he's talking about the idea of patient means that it's gonna take you a long time to actually get angry. That's what the literal translation means. Or it also means, not only to be extremely patient, so it's gonna take you a long time not to be angry, but it also has to do with having long on suffering or long on passion or long on pain and to be able to endure. So this last week, um, I, I, my wife was, we were watching the Super Bowl and I had stepped out and then one of the first Super Bowl commercials um, that came up was this Toyota commercial. And after she said, she's here, I hope they show this commercial again because I think you're gonna really like it. And um, I think this was actually, this, I think this was the best Super Bowl commercial this year and it had absolutely nothing to do with Doritos. I want you to know that, okay? And so let me show you, it's about 60 seconds. So here's the Toyota commercial. 
Brian and Robin McKeever, Canadians, won 10 Olympic Paralympic medals together. The brother was blind. So one day he took him under his wing and evidently, I don't know if you realize this, but um, Robin, um, the one who's not blind, actually competed in the Olympics as, um, as a cross-country skier. And then he took his brother under the wing and they started competing or actually um, uh, training together. 10 Olympic medals. And, and what I thought was really interesting as I watched that commercial, it, I thought that's a pl- classic illustration about patience. Can you imagine that all that took uh, the idea of training literally thousands and thousands and thousands of hours over the last 20 years? By the way, I heard this this last week that Brian actually is going to be competing again in a couple of weeks in the cross-country skiing. And so I, I just think that's an amazing story. And so what I thought about it is not only about how they had to be extremely patient to be able to work together, to be able to maneuver through trees, you know, you saw that. But the idea, of, the idea of patience is not just about being long on anger, but it has everything to do with being long on suffering, long on passion, long on going through pain together, patience. Paul says when it comes to love, love is patient. You know, what's very interesting is that um, uh, about life is the opposite in the Greek of the word patience has to do with to come along someone's side with an edge. You have an edge to you. Now, when I thought about that this week, I I thought about um, patience and I thought about, you know, uh, the person in my life that I know that's probably the most patient person I have ever met in my life is my wife, Donna Hendren. She is incredibly patient. Matter of fact, here's the interesting thing. She's raised five kids and she has put up with me for 32 years. And what's very powerful about her is that I, uh, and I, you know, I've known her since we were 17 years old. I've never heard her ever raise her voice, ever. So when raising her kids, usually when she would get maybe, you know, once again, it would take a lot to maybe ultimately push her button, but, you know, and so uh, there would be times in which she would just go to her, to our kids and say, you know, I'm just so disappointed in you, Right? Now, I would be going, what were you thinking? Okay, there is a difference between the way Harold dealt with things and the way that Mrs. Hendry would deal with things. And when she was dealing with me, she wouldn't go, Harold, I'm so disappointed. No, no, this is how she would deal with me. She'd go, Harold, 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 Harold. And when she got to the third Harold, I knew that I'd had it, right? (laughs) And so... My wife had, has really taken art, this art of what I would call being incredibly patient. She has a very long fuse. Now, what's interesting about life, it's interesting how life comes full circle, right? And so my son Jordan, uh, one day when he was about ninth grade, um, I don't know what he was thinking, but he was giving his art teacher a hard time. And so all of a sudden I get a phone call from the guidance counselor saying, Mr. Hendren, we need for you to come in and talk. And I'm thinking, what do we need to talk about? And so we go into the principal's office and there's Jordan and there's the assistant principal and there's the guidance counselor and there's the art teacher. And I'm looking at Jordan, I'm thinking, 
what in the world did you do? And so I give him that eye, right? And so we, he sits down and so he kind of slopes down in the chair. And so I said, okay, well, what's going on? He said, well, Mr. Hendren, um, Jordan is evidently has a little bit of an attitude problem. Oh, does he now? <laughs> And then she said, yeah, he's been given his art teacher a hard time and blah, 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 blah. And then I, at the end of the conversation, I just said to the, all of them, and I looked at Jordan, and I said, I want you to know that we will never be back in this office ever again, aren't we, Jordan? Right? So we went home, and we had to come to Jesus talk. Now, when I tell you that story, and I'm sure that Jordan wouldn't mind me telling you the story. I didn't ask his permission, but I told it anyway. And so anyway, I, I, what's interesting about Jordan Hendren is, is that guess what he is now? He's a school teacher. <laughs> and not only does he teach school, he teaches sixth graders who know everything about life. And they always have an attitude. So I just thought it was ironic and interesting how life comes full circle. And now Jordan's dealing with the same thing that he dished out when he was in ninth grade. And you had shared with me this last week, because he came home on a visit, and he says, you know, Dad, they're evidently, you know, when it comes to sixth and seventh graders, man, they have a really short fuse. And I said, what do you mean by that? And he says, well, we had like three fights this last week, and they're always just beating the, the crud out of each other. And he said, what is all about? I said, Dad, I don't know what that's all about. But here's the interesting thing. When it comes to life, we all know people who have a very short fuse. And Paul says, that's not a good quality to have. The idea of patience has nothing to do with having a short fuse, but it really has to do with this, this idea of a long fuse to be incredibly patient with another human being. Long on anger is what Paul says. I, I would say it was interesting as I was reflecting upon all this this week and the idea of patience and so forth. I, I thought it was very powerful in that when it comes to life is that sometimes we're very patient, sometimes we aren't very patient. And um, I thought this is a very interesting statistic and the reason why I thought about this this week is um, does anybody, here's my, uh, my, what I struggle with when it comes to patience. It has to do with driving in the villages. I just want you to know that, okay. So does anybody else have a problem with that besides me? Okay, so when it comes to being, you know, I, I shared this sermon last week and I had several comments about this part of my sermon. And when it comes to driving, sometimes we have to be, and we have a tendency to be incredibly impatient with other people. And so the other, you know, here's the interesting thing. I went off out of the last Thursday, we were driving to Lakeland. My, one of my very dear friends, his son was playing in a district tournament. So we drove to Lakeland to watch him play. And so between here and going to Lakeland, Florida, um, there's this long two lane, it's about 20 miles in order to get to Lakeland on a two lane road. And so what's very powerful is that there, because it was like 5.30 in the afternoon, there was a lot of traffic. And so, of course, we get behind a semi and there's no way to pass. And so because there were so many, so there was like, I don't know, maybe eight cars between me and the semi and on this road. And because all this other traffic's coming, there's no way to pass. So you just had to kind of just deal with it, right? So this guy comes behind me and you know the guy, and he comes flying by, and I'm, I'm literally, there's only like one car link between me and the car in front, or two car links, so he's gotta come past me and whip in and get between us, and so now I don't have any car links between me and the person, I'm thinking, really? Really? And you can't go anywhere, anyway. Do you know that guy? Okay, and so he comes in and he says, I'm thinking, what are you thinking? And so I, I was a little frustrated, 
right? I, I wanted to call, well, I wanted to say a few things, but I'm afraid he might have been a member of our church, but I didn't do that. And so, um, and so anyway, so, so what's very, what I thought was very interesting, here's an interesting, interesting statistic, right? When it comes to driving and being impatient, there are 11,000 accidents in America that deal with drunk driving every year, okay? There are 28,000 accidents in America every year that deal with speeding and impatient people. Impatience. Long on anger. Short fuse. Patience. So then we, so we have that part of this, this story that Paul takes on. And then he talks about the idea of, um, uh, I, I, well, here's what, let me th- throw one more statistic at. I thought this is an amazing statistic when it comes to, I have a hard time about sitting at traffic lights because I'm thinking it's a waste of time, right? I want to keep moving. Uh, why do I have to stop at a right light? And, and what I thought was very interesting, this is true, I looked it up. You can look it up yourself. We're gonna spend between, if you started driving at 15, and this is fast forward for 50 years to 65, okay? You're gonna, you and I are gonna spend, you ready? 2,930 hours sitting at a stinking traffic light. <laughs> That's 122 days or four months of tapping the steering wheel. I just want you to know that. <laughs> just grasp that. <laughs> and so what if we had this epiphany of cultivating something productive rather than just being stewing and thinking that's just a waste of time? What if we took some of those times when we were sitting there at the traffic light and had a chance just to pray for someone? A reflect upon life or just think, you know what, Harold, you should just be grateful that you're alive and that you're stopping at that light. Patience. Okay, so the last two, let me teach on these two words. I, I, the word kindness today and the word uh, there has everything to do with uh, being useful or beneficial. In other words, it, it helps us to kind of, the idea of being kind to another person has everything to do with a uh, little Greek, putting yourself in someone else's shoes. And, and so the idea, it requires a certain empathy that we have, that we understand what it feels like to be in somebody else's shoes, that, we, that, that where, they, where they don't have enough to eat or they might be in need of help or something along those lines. So the little translation, the Greek, has everything to do with the idea of being showing kindness and manifest itself and actually doing something for another human being. That's the, what Paul means by the word kindness. And, and so, you know, what's very interesting as I thought about this, I thought, okay, what we think about being kind, we should show these attributes of being kind to another person and putting ourselves in another person's shoes. But the opposite of that would be, be mean. And so, you know what I st- immediately thought? Cyberbullying. It's an epidemic. You don't know, but let me tell you something. Your children or your grandchildren have probably been a victim of cyberbullying over the last 10, 15, 20 years. I thought this was an amazing statistic. When when they talked about kids these days, they said that ultimately that that 60% of kids nowadays had said that at some point in their life, people have said mean things to them online. 
uh, 42% of all kids responded by saying that they had been bullied at some point along. 35% said that they felt threatened at some point in their life. Wow. Being kind or being mean. Matter of fact, here's an interesting thing about the word kindness there, about putting someone else's shoes and being kind to another human being and being empathetic and caring. They're, they're, when, they, when they ran the statistics on marriages, ready for this? This is an amazing statistic. That they realized that actually the ones that are for the long haul, they're actually, they, they endured their whole, the whole marriage. Went from, you know, from the I do, death do us part to the very end. Only 30% end up, actually having healthy and whole and happy and joyful marriages, 30% from the beginning to the end. And they said, and so when they ran the statistics on this, they found some certain characteristics and they, and, and one uh, psychotherapist called it this way, either you're, it's going to be a disaster or you're going to be a master. And the disasters are the one, and they give you the key word for a disaster when you think about the ones that don't really end up now, now you, people might still remain, remain married. They're just miserable. They're not happy. They, they don't, they, and, and so they, there's this constant kind of this tension going on. So what's interesting, the ones that are not happy, the key word is contempt. They're putting each other down instead of raising people up. Or, or, so the difference between a disaster and the ones that are actually, the 30% actually are really happy in their lives is what I would call the word. So there's a difference between contempt and complimentary. Those who ultimately, the 30% who endure and they end up with happy, whole marriages are complimentary of each other and showing kindness. What's very interesting also, when they, they ran the numbers with children, raising their children, I thought this was just amazing when it came to kindness. So what's very powerful is that the parents who are raising kind kids are the ones who are actually more successful in life. Think about that. So the way that we have raised our children, and they even actually went back and researched the, the kindergarten teachers and asked their kindergarten teachers how they were when they were young. And they go, well, yeah, these kids, the, the so-and-so, little Johnny or Susie, were very, they were the ones who were always very compassionate and empathetic and caring towards their other classmates. And they were the most successful in life. Kindness. Contempt or complimentary. And the last word is goodness. And once again, the, the word goodness there, what Paul's referring to is talking about not just on a superficial thing, not just about, hey, I had a good meal or I had a good, I had a good time or I had a good day. No, no. What Paul's talking about here is that it has to do with goodness and the depth of your heart, it has the depth of your soul of showing goodness to other people and reflecting upon that. And so Paul says, and he talks about this in the book of Romans, he says, listen, you know, I do the things I don't wanna do, I wanna do the good, but then I end up doing the exact opposite. I don't do the good that I really wanted to do in the first place. Paul says there's this inward struggle that we have in life, and we all can relate to that, right? Between goodness and what Paul's really reflecting upon is this goodness that's in the depth of our hearts and our being. I love what Mr. Wesley had to say about goodness. And so uh, Wesley kind of summarized it in a very powerful way. And he says, we call these the three ordinances or the three kind of general rules of Methodism. Do no harm and avoid evil, do good and stay in love with God. 
That's what Wesley said. And then he goes on and says this. You ready? Do all the good you can by all the means you can and all the ways you can and all the places you can at all the times you can at all the, for all the people you can as long as you ever can. John Wesley, good. So I close with this thought today about patience, about kindness, about goodness, once again, this sermon came full circle because I shared with in the past, you were full of darkness, but now you're full of light in the Lord. So live like children who belong to the light. This light produces every kind of goodness and right living in truth. Uh, Jesus went on and said this, people don't hide a lamp under a bowl. They put on it on a lampstand. Then the light shines for everyone in the house to see. In the same way, Jesus says, you should be a light for other people. Live so that they may see the good things you do and Praise your heavenly father in heaven, Jesus. So my daughter calls me, I'll close with this. Y'all still with me? Okay, all right. So my daughter calls me up in the middle of the week. She says, dad, I need to talk to you. I said, what's going on, honey? And she says, well, um, Marley and I, my Marley's my four-year-old granddaughter. She says, I, I, she, we had an interesting theological conversation from the back seat this last week. And I said, tell me about that. So I have a picture of Olivia and here's what, this is Olivia with her little dog, okay? And that's um, uh, Savannah. She's a little chihuahua, God rest her soul. She died about four and a half years ago, but Olivia loved that dog. Matter of fact, the dog lived to be like 15 years old. She went from junior high to high school, through college. She took her to college with her and even into her marriage and she died just before Marley was born. And so um, Olivia had talked to Marley a little bit about Savannah. And so they were going down, uh, Marley never actually met. Savannah, um, but we have, Olivia has a painting of Savannah in her house, so they've talked about Savannah. So they're going down the road, and Olivia's, um, here's the song, and it reminded her of her little dog, and so Olivia said to Marley, she says, oh, that mommy, that song reminds me, uh, mommy, of, um, of Savannah, and she says, well, you didn't meet Savannah, but you know all about Savannah, right, Marley, and she says, yes, and she said, then Olivia says, well, Marley, I want you to know that Savannah is in heaven. And then, so then Marley says to her mother, like, in the clouds? And Olivia says, yeah, like in the clouds. And then Olivia said, then I saw her little mind spinning. And then Marley says, mama, is there a lighthouse in heaven? And then Olivia says, well, I don't know. I need to call Paul on that. <laughs> so Olivia calls Paul. That's me. She says, Dad, we had this interesting conversation. She says, I want to know, is there a lighthouse in heaven? And Because Marley wants to know, is there a lighthouse in heaven? And I said, well, here's what you tell Marley, okay? First of all, you tell Marley that the, and this is in the Bible, that the countenance and the shimmering of Jesus Christ is so powerful that he is so bright that there is no need for a sun in heaven. That's in the Bible. The radiance of Jesus Christ fills all of heaven with light. Biblical. And then you tell Marley Ray, my little four-year-old granddaughter who's becoming quite the theologian. <laughs> you tell Marley Ray that Jesus Christ is the lighthouse tell her that and so my point for us to think about today 
is that Jesus Christ has called us all to be a lighthouse here on earth. And how do we do that? By showing love and kindness and joy and peace and goodness. Amen.